Today's guest has spent her career helping businesses expand into international markets, and she's been so successful, she was recently named the 2023 New Hampshire Global Businesswoman of the Year. I'm Matt Murray, co-publisher and executive editor of Business NH Magazine and Granite Media Group. And I'm Christine Kerrigan, co-publisher of Business NH Magazine and chief creative officer for Granite Media Group, and welcome to BizCast NH. So, in honor of our guest today, mm-hmm. what has been your favorite country that you visited? I have a feeling I know, but... I have a feeling you probably know, too, because we've probably talked about it. Um, Italy. Oh, yes. It has to be Italy. It was a while ago, at least over 10 years ago now, um, but I went for about a week, and it was just amazing. And I remember when I got back on the plane and was heading home, I said, I think I was meant to be Italian. I don't think I have a drop of Italian blood in same me. Same here, but I had but, the same thought. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I I think I'm supposed to be Italian. It was just an incredible trip. Incredible. I you, agree. Yeah, I mean, between the culture that's there and just seeing all these things that you've learned about just in reality um, and just the lifestyle. I mean, I, as the American stuck, I stuck out like a sore thumb, you know, we're in, in Venice and all these very, and, and um, Florence and all these, you know, very chic people and well-dressed and here I am, you know, my cargo shorts stomping around like the stocky American I am. Um, but I mean, from the food and everything, it's just wonderful. I, the other country kind of competes for me. Um, And part of that is because of my childhood. You know, as I mentioned before, we were an Air Force family. And so we spent eight years overseas and one of them was in Germany. And then I was fortunate enough to take my wife, who had never been out of the country except for Canada, uh, on our second anniversary. We just happened, the the worlds aligned, we were able to go to, I was able to take her to Germany. Um, and it was just so magical mm. to share that experience with her because I just love the culture there too. And, um, you know, just these postcards that come to life and being able to go shushing down a wooden slide into a salt mine that's been around forever uh, to seeing where the sound of music was recorded um, in going into beer gardens. And even though I'm not a beer drinker, you're just getting engulfed in that. And of course, you know, I grew up on Wiener Schnitzel as a kid. Can you tell? <laughs> you know, um, so you know it was like the mothership called me home. But I, yes. there's just something about stepping out of your comfort zone and experiencing the world and another culture. And I think it just gives you such a richer experience that I wish more people could have. You know, because you start to realize you're part of a global community. Absolutely, and I you know haven't had the opportunity opportunity to visit too too many uh countries but but it has been just yeah eye-opening when I've gone overseas it's been I've been to Europe uh well I've been to Europe but I've been to Italy I've been to France um my only trip to Germany was the airport <laughs> oh you're missing out <laughs> there was a layover we had a layover and we had to run through the airport because one of our flights was delayed and we had to catch that one and it was uh so I I've seen Germany at a running pace <laughs> And only the inside of the airport. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I cannot wait to hear about our 
guest's own experience. Uh, she has not only traveled the world for pleasure, she has done it for business, helping businesses to expand into new marketplaces. Um, let's let's start delving in. Why don't you introduce our guest? Absolutely. This week, our guest is Grace Preston. Grace is an international sales and business development professional whose career has spanned the globe. She has worked with a variety of technology and manufacturing companies, helping them open up markets overseas. She's an expert in assessing market potential, best sales strategies, and understanding the nuances of various cultures. Grace has twice provided testimony to the United States Senate on the importance of export sales for U.S. small businesses. In 2019, she was awarded New England Exporter of the Year by the SBA for her contributions while working with a New England manufacturer. Currently, she is the International Sales Manager at Geophysical Survey Systems, Inc., or GSSI for short, which is a commercial manufacturer of ground-penetrating radar located in Nashua. She was recently named the 2023 New Hampshire Global Businesswoman of the Year Award recipient by the World Affairs Council of New Hampshire for her leadership and innovation in the realm of international business. Under her guidance and expertise, Grace orchestrated a turnaround of the previously stagnant Chinese market, leading to substantial sales growth. Simultaneously, Grace successfully forged new European partnerships while deepening existing ones, thereby expanding the company's global presence and influence. Grace's ability to identify and develop untapped and underserved markets, particularly in South America, has been instrumental in diversifying the company's global portfolio and creating new avenues for export and revenue. Grace has traveled to about 70 countries and all seven continents on both a professional and personal basis. She resides in Bedford, New Hampshire with her two cats, Mara and Shackleton, I love those names, and continues to travel the globe in her spare time as an amateur wildlife photographer. So much I can't wait to delve into here. So we'd like to welcome Grace to the podcast. Well, thank you. That's such an impressive introduction. (laughs) I hope I can live up to it. I I have no doubt. So... First thing I want to talk about is how did you fall in love with the globe? I mean, obviously, this is a passion of yours for both personal and professionally. When did you start getting the travel bug? Yeah, so I have an interesting story background. Um, I'm actually a first-generation American. Um, Both my parents were Lebanese, um, and so I grew up in a diverse, uh, culturally diverse uh, family, Mm -hmm. right? One foot in in the American culture, one foot into the Arabic culture. So I grew up a little different. And I think that taught me to be a little more global about my perspective. Um, And also my dad traveled all the time. So he would always come home and he'd bring me all these gifts from around the world. And I kind of, as a kid, just wanted to see these places. So when I went off to college, I was uh, going to be a lawyer, and I went off to college, and I majored in political science with a focus on international relations. And I came out of four years of college, and I decided I don't want to go to law school, so what can (laughs) I do with this degree? And there was no international business curriculum at the time. So I just uh, looked at different companies that were operating internationally, and I got my first job in a company in their international division. And that kind of seeded where I was going to go for the rest of my career. So I started on the inside, and then I leveraged that to go into outside sales. And um, so, you know, as they say, the rest is history. 
And so what are, give us an idea of the type of companies that you've worked for over the years that have been breaking into new international markets that you were able to help them expand. Sure. So my, the first company I worked for was uh, Gerber Scientific in Connecticut. And I worked for a division that um, provided automation to garment factories. So we were around the world providing our equipment to various countries and garment factories. From there, I just kind of leveraged that continually. I moved, uh, I relocated to Pennsylvania, and I got a job in, the, in an international division of a software company that developed software for large format printing. And again, uh, worked on the inside, leveraged that to the outside, and then slowly began my career. I moved back to New England, um, and uh, I, started, I started with a company that... Uh, uh, did some technology used in the fiber optic networking industry in Nashua. Um, that lasted a couple years. And then I went on to uh, a company in Concord, New Hampshire, uh, doing RFID technology for hospitals and healthcare. And I was there for about 10 years. So again, it, I was never markets, I was never industry specific. Yeah. My role was to figure out what the technology was and then to figure out which markets were the best markets to go into outside of the U.S. So that's what my expertise is. And eventually, I landed at GSSI, um, and uh, I feel like uh, everything I've done up to my career uh, to now has brought me to GSSI. And it's a fantastic company, as you know. One of our best companies to work for. Been number one one, many times. Yes. Yes. Hall of Fame. (laughs) And and from the inside, I can tell you, it's one of the best companies to work for. So I, yeah, I've been there for. We got it right. I, yeah, you definitely, <laughs> you definitely got it right. So, um, I, you know, one of the, the the things that I enjoy about the company is not only is the work challenging, and they've given me this great opportunity to help them develop their international business, but I work with incredibly smart people on a daily basis. Um, it provides me with a great challenge because I never, I didn't come from that industry. So I'm learning every day. So I, it's a great combination of bringing my knowledge to the company and then being challenged every day by learning something new. So it's really fun. And they, this is a very cool company. Can you give our listeners an idea of what it does? Sure. GSSI, um, we, we manufacture ground penetrating radar and we use it in a variety of applications. Uh, most people think radar, it goes into the air and you're, it's defense and that type of thing. But our radar actually looks subsurface. So you think about, well, what do you use it for? You use it to um, locate underground utilities, um, map underground utilities, concrete inspection. Uh, if you're going to renovate or drill into concrete, you want to make sure there's nothing behind that wall before you drill into it. Uh, maybe, you know, piping or a post-tension cable. You want to make sure nothing's there. So we give you eyes, you know, electronically or through radar so that you can see behind the concrete so you're not drilling into something that shouldn't be drilled into. Um, We also do applications like uh, road analysis, uh, assessing the layers of asphalt, um, the compaction of asphalt, we we use our technology, of course, in archaeology applications, which is the cool Very stuff. Cool. But it's the cool stuff, right? Um, and we use our uh, technology in uh, glaciology, you know, mining, um, locating old storage tanks, that type of thing. Is that all? <laughs> yeah, it's really it's really interesting. And I like I said, I work with some incredibly smart people, um, and and it's just it's a really wonderful company. So with GSSI, the international markets, what is your process of bringing these, uh, your, this product to countries around the world? 
Um, so uh, we sell internationally through a network of representatives. So it's really impossible for us to, um, you know, cold call places overseas. So we look for companies in markets that will represent us, that will actually um, promote, sell, uh, provide after sale, sales service, support, training, that type of thing. So we're going to look for companies like that in market. So so my role is where we have those representatives is to make sure that they have all the tools that they need to sell. And if they're lacking tools or perhaps they're not the right partner in a country, then you know we kind of maybe put them on a uh, performance plan, so to speak. So uh, get them selling, get them motivated. If they're not uh, performing, then we would look to replace them. So in markets where we have those people, that's what I would do. In markets where we don't have people, then we would look to find the right companies to partner with. And that would entail either um, looking at complementary products, um, you know, maybe uh, for the construction, for the underground utility market, uh, one of the things would be, okay, we would look at companies that are representing survey products because they're, they're mapping above ground. What would be the next step to map below the ground? So we would look at companies that are representing um, survey equipment. Uh, the other tool that I use is I partner very well with um, the state of New Hampshire has an office of international commerce. So they can provide us some assistance as well as the U.S. government had the U.S. Department of Commerce. Uh, they have a, um, a, an office of uh, international trade and uh, the commercial service. So we partner with them, and they have um, personnel around the world based in embassies uh, in a commercial sector that their sole job is to help American companies trade within that country. So we would partner with them. I've just come back from Southeast Asia where we engaged the embassies in Malaysia, um, Indonesia, and Thailand to help us find partners in those countries. So basically, I give them a profile of the country, of the company that we're looking for. This would be the ideal person that we would we want to would want to have in place in, in this country. They go off six to eight weeks and they they do research. They call on companies. They go through their role decks and literally they come up with a list of uh, anywhere between six to a dozen companies that could fit the bill. And then literally, I fly in and I interview all the companies companies. So those are some of the strategies that we would use of going into markets overseas. Um, it's daunting, I'm not going to lie. Um, you have to pack a lot of patience because it's, it's uh, even though I was in Southeast Asia in October, we're um, just now starting to kind of go to the next step of what I call dating. Yeah. Well, and it's obvious just hearing you describe all these different steps that you take, it, it, you know, wanting to go into a, any sort of international marketplace is not just a matter of picking up a phone and, and starting business. Um, it's a, can be a very long process. Obviously, a lot of it is very relationship driven. What are some of the major challenges New Hampshire companies can face as they try and break into new international bar marketplaces? Yeah, some, you know, there, there, there could be issues of um, trade barriers. Um, you know, up until recently, um, China had uh, put into place some tariffs on U.S. products. So, you know, it, it prevented us from kind of getting into that market or um, they had, uh, some markets have more of a protectionist view. They want locally sourced products or they want them manufactured locally. 
Uh, so that could be an issue. Uh, right now, we're running into challenges with the exchange rate. It's great for personal travel because your dollar goes a lot far further. But when companies come to buy products, American-made products, they're much more expensive. So that presents a challenge. And, and that gets particularly challenging in, in markets that are very cost-driven, um, like Southeast Asia, like India, and to some degree, China. So that becomes a challenge. Um, what what we try to do is diversify. So we're not putting all of our eggs in one basket in one market. Um, you know, the more presence we have around the world, when one market goes down, we can help offset that with uh, revenue from another market or another couple markets. And we'll be right back. Do you wish you had a crystal ball to see what 2024 has in store for your industry? Join Business NH Magazine and leaders from 11 industry sectors at New Hampshire Futurecast 2024 to hear what the new year has in store. Join us on January 25th at the Dairy Field in Manchester. Find out more at businessnhmagazine.com slash events. And we're back. So obviously we've been seeing a lot playing out on the international front and a lot of volatility in the world uh, between Ukraine and Israel and Gaza. Um, and that's just what comes top of mind. Obviously, there's a lot of unrest um, or economic pressures in different parts of the world uh, that, that come out to play into decisions companies make as to where they're going to be able to do business or want to be involved. Um, so what are your consider- considerations when you're looking at the global marketplace and something suddenly comes up that just is completely disruptive? Um how do you, as someone who's leading a company's efforts in the international marketplace, react to these events? Yeah, I mean, you have to pivot. You have to be you have to be pretty flexible in terms of um, you know finding alternate markets to go into. Uh, obviously, we can't do business now in Russia, so that market's cut off. Mm-hmm. Um, Ukraine, while we weren't doing a lot of business there, it definitely had an effect to some of the other markets around Ukraine, Poland in particular. So you know you had a you had a massive influx of Ukrainian people uh, flooding into Poland, so that was a strain on the economy in Poland. Wow. So you know that affects the business there. Um, you know we it's yet to be determined what's going to happen in the Middle East. There's definitely going to be uh, a regional effect, right? Um, so we we do business quite a bit of business in the Middle East. We're waiting to see what the effect's going to be um, with the situation there. Um, China was impacted with COVID, uh, obviously, uh, as everybody worldwide. But you know they're just coming out of um, the situation in terms of so much money was pumped into COVID relief from the government. It affected the economy, and so you know the, the money's not there to be spent. So even though a lot of our business uh, came from China, there's a little bit of an adjustment right now. Mm. And so we're pivoting. We're pivoting to other markets. We're looking at opportunities in, in Latin America where we haven't tapped into Latin America. Um, I'm, I'm also making inroads in Eastern Europe. So, you know, you, there, you have to pivot. You have to have multiple markets um, because it's constantly changing. And so what are the calculations you make as to what are the emerging marketplaces that are right for your company? Yeah, I mean, I think I go back to, you know, the up and coming countries where there's a lot of money being pumped into infrastructure. Right now, the EU is putting a lot of money into Eastern Europe to build up the infrastructure. You look at uh, countries that 
uh, are not part of the EU, if they're just recently become part of the EU, they have to come up to EU standards. So they're pumping money. The EU is giving money into these countries like Romania um, to bring up the infrastructure. And that's where we want to be. And so I, in talking to you, <laughs> I'm always amazed. Obviously, your, your life is travel. Are you ever home? <laughs> I, I am. I am not, you know, some, sometimes not enough. Um, How often are you on, uh, I wouldn't want to say on the road, but really in the air? Yeah, so it can vary. Um, and um, I'm at a point where I, I really only go out if it's like, you know, there, there's something, you know, to be done, right? Yeah. Uh, the days of kind of going out for the sake of going out are long gone. <laughs> and when I, I've pretty much been everywhere as well. So the, the, the shine has worn off, so to speak. <laughs> um, and, you know, after the first couple of times, it's no longer fun to go to the same place over and over again. Right. I enjoy it. Don't get me wrong. I love everything about it. Um, I'm on the road anywhere between, you know, I'm just going to give a range because it varies between uh, 30 and 60% of the time. Wow. So 70 countries, seven continents. What places have been the most impactful on you, either professionally or personally? Oh, great question. Um, I, I, I have an affinity to the Middle East because of my heritage. Right. And professionally, it's been very lucrative over my career um, because it's, you know, it's a wealthy part of the world. Um, you know, um, for GSSI, it, it, it represents a lot of potential for us. So I think, you know, we want to focus uh, a little more in the Middle East as well. So professionally, I would say um, I've enjoyed doing work there because it, it also brings me back to the culture that I was brought up in. So, you know, for me, I'm very much at home there. And, and what about personally? Where have you been that either took your breath away or just resonated with you? Um, well, I, I get this question a lot and I have a really big passion for Africa. Um, and if there was one place that, you know, if somebody said to me, you can only go one place for the rest of your life on holiday, where would it be? And hands down, it would be South Africa. Mm. Now, Antarctica. Yes. <laughs> There's not many of us that can say we visited. So what brought you there and what were you doing there? Yeah, so that was personal. Um, I, I, as you know, with the name of one of my cats is Shackleton. And yes. Shackleton is um, my favorite explorer. And uh, I love I, that you have a favorite explorer. So <laughs> yes. what makes him your favorite? Just everything about the story with him. So Shackleton was an explorer in the um, the uh, around 1914. He decided to um, do an expedition to traverse Antarctica, and he took 28 men uh, with him, and he sailed down there. And the ship got stuck in the ice. If you haven't read about Ernest Shackleton, you need to. And uh, it's an incredible story about leadership and survival. So he took 28 men with him in 1914 to traverse Antarctica. The ship, the Endurance, got stuck in the ice, and uh, the guys came off of the ship and survived for two years on the ice, and not one person died. And Shackleton just was uh, amazing in terms of leadership and making sure that everybody uh had everything they needed, kept morale up, um, and he ended up sailing from the Antarctic Peninsula to this tiny little island in in um, the South Atlantic called South Georgia Island, 
and I uh, sailed 800 miles across some of the worst seas you can imagine. I know because I sailed them <laughs> <laughs> and um, got there and, you know, survived that, got there uh, with two two or three other of his other men and landed on the wrong side of the island and then he had to traverse over a mountain range. And, uh, you know, then then he went back to the mainland in Argentina and tried to get a ship to go back and rescue his men. Well, it was two years later, and he went back and he rescued his men, and everybody survived. So I read all these stories when I was, you know, young, and I just became fascinated with it. And so I decided I was going to save up my money, and I was going to go on an expedition to Antarctica, and I did. And I went to all the places that I read about, and it was amazing. So what was it wow. like? What so, were the conditions you were traveling under? Yeah, no, I went I went on an expedition ship and it was great. It was, you know, very comfortable, very very um yeah, it was it, you know, lots of penguins, lots of seals, <laughs> a lot of ice, a lot of white. Yeah. But one of the most interesting things that I find is I ended up at GSSI. And GSSI does a lot of a lot of our equipment is actually in Antarctica. So it's the first company that I've ever worked at where I'm not the only one that's been to Antarctica. I think there's been four or five people at GSSI that have been to Antarctica. Now, they got an all-expenses-paid all trip. <laughs> I had to pay for my trip. So so it's it's less of an impressive story at GSSI. Yeah, it's, it's totally like, like, like I, whatever. Yeah, they're all like, Who yeah. Who hasn't we, been to Antarctica? Yeah, they're all like, yeah, we've been there too. And, you know, so. Get in line. <laughs> so it's, I just wanted to jump back on the um, international uh, business. I want to see if you can talk to us about some of the challenges that you find um, trying to break into new markets. I know uh, right now you're very cognizant of what's going on in the world and that affects the markets. But are there any uh, specific challenges you run into when, say, you've got a specific market that you're focusing on? Uh, What are you running into and how are you getting through those issues? I, I, the biggest issue is really finding the right company to partner with. Um, so it's sort of I always I always tell people it's like dating and marriage. Um, you know, you want to take your time in the dating phase. Um, you know, you want to make sure you're marrying the right partner because the divorce can be really ugly, and you don't want to have to go through the process of finding another partner after a year or two, because you're, you're investing a lot in that partner. You're investing training them. You're investing in getting them up to speed. You're investing in building that relationship. So you want to make sure that that relationship is going to be fruitful. So you, you want to take your time and find the right person to marry. Mm. So that's a challenge. Um, the other challenges are, obviously, some markets are very price-sensitive. Um, so as an American manufacturer, we pride ourselves on building really high-quality products. Uh, I run into people, uh, customers that have used our products for 20-plus years, and they're still operating. Um, so, so we're really proud of the quality that we provide and the support that we provide, but the challenge is that comes at a premium. So you go to markets where really they want to pay a price for a Toyota, but they really want to drive a Mercedes. So mm-hmm. how do you how do you overcome that delta? And a lot of it is just really in the partner and what value the, the partner can add in country. Um, and then we back that partner up with everything, the whole infrastructure we have here in Nashua. And I imagine just just logistically, you must run into situations where there's a language barrier. Uh, Do you work with a lot of translators? Do you yourself speak any additional languages? 
So I've been really blessed. Um, I, I don't really speak another language. I can understand Arabic. And if I'm immersed in it for a long time, um, it comes to me mm-hmm. um, because I was brought up on it. But it's not something that I would say, you know, yeah, I speak Arabic. Um, there are some markets that uh, traditionally, you know, will be a challenge with language. Uh, Latin America, for sure, there's a lot of users that don't speak English. And again, that's where having a really good partner in place is, is very good because they're going to speak the local language and they're going to they're gonna know the culture. And hopefully you get that partner that speaks also English and the local language. Mm-hmm. Um, so there definitely are markets where um, the language can be a challenge, but uh, in those cases, you always find a way to communicate. You'd be surprised. Mm. So for companies who haven't hired you, what are some of the biggest mistakes you've seen companies make when trying to expand or break into the international marketplace? Um, not having enough patience. Um, that's probably number one. Um, I think, you know, you you got to recognize that you're in it for the long term. Um, you're not going to go to a market once and expect to come home with POs. Uh, you have to go to the market repeatedly. Um, and I would say uh, another thing that I would recommend to folks is uh, do your research. Uh, there are resources available through... Um, the state of New Hampshire, and also the U.S. Uh, Commerce Department, they can help you. They can help guide you to markets that uh, would be applicable for your product. Um, so take your time, do your research, and don't take a shotgun approach. Don't think that it, not every market is going to be good, and it's okay to say no to a market and pivot and your resources and go elsewhere to markets that that, that is good. Um so don't take a shotgun approach. Pick a couple markets that feel, uh, based on your research, solid and put your effort and your resources there. And once you have those built and you have your generating revenue, start going into other markets, leverage that into other markets. So as an experienced traveler, what are your five must-haves when you are taking off? <laughs> Noise-canceling headphones, number one. Um, I can't travel without them. Um, you'd be surprised how much fatigue you would get from just engine noise. So noise-canceling headphones are probably top on my list. A bottle of water, of course, or my own my own bottle of water. Um, my playlist on my iPods, because I'm very good at sleeping on airplanes. Um, you can ask my two sisters. They've traveled with me, and they can't <laughs> believe how well I can sleep on airplanes. Um, uh my iPad to watch all my content for not only on the airplane, but when I wake up in the middle of the night with jet lag. Jet lag. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Well, I, well that's a great that's top great. four. Yeah. And then um, you said as you, when you do some personal travel, you also do some amateur wildlife photography. I do. Um, which piqued my interest as a photographer myself. So uh, what are some of the animals that you photographed that, is, that were your favorite or some images that you've, that you've made that just... Are, are your top. Yeah, so I, as I said, I spend a lot of time in Africa, um, mm. personally. Um, this year I did two trips to Africa, um, and uh, I love to photograph leopards. They're probably my favorite thing to photograph, mm. although this year I had the opportunity to photograph a wild dogs, which are now becoming equally as impressive as leopards. Um, I've had the opportunity to photograph polar bears in the Arctic. Wow. And I am going to go back to the Arctic next year to photograph polar bears and walruses because walruses are amazing. Oh, that's great. 
Do you do you exhibit these photos anywhere? I'd love to see them. <laughs> I don't exhibit them. Um, it's really uh, it's for it's for me to relive my memories and the challenge of getting the shot. That's great. That's great. And so, with everywhere you've gone, is there any place left on a bucket list for you? There's a couple places um, I'm going to save until I retire, um, so I have uh, time to do them properly. Um, I would love to explore Nepal and Mo- Mongolia. Oh, wow. uh, those are those are area. I I don't like saying I have a bucket list. I just kind of like saying places I'd like to go. Um, so those are those are places that are. Um, you know, I, I would like to explore in when I have plenty of time to do it right and not rushed in between a two-week vacation. <laughs> and, and what is it that appeals to you most when you're visiting different countries? What is it that drives you to not only want to visit but to experience what, while you're there? The food. <laughs> oh, of course. So what's the, what's, the, what's the best dish you've had internationally? Well, again, I think because of my Arabic culture, I enjoy traveling in the Middle East because I love Arabic food, um, because it's it's my comfort food. Right. Mm. Um, so it's probably the first thing that I, you know, when I go to Dubai, I have my favorite Lebanese restaurant that it's I go to. And, um, you, you know, it's always about the food. And uh, recently I was in Thailand. I love spicy food um, and uh, enjoyed plenty of spicy food and Sadly, as you get older, you can't handle spicy food as you I could know. when you were younger. So I totally understand. I've learned I, that the hard way. You have yes. to time it. You have to time it right. <laughs> All of a sudden, you find out night. your love of spicy food does not love you back. That's right. That's right. I never had heartburn in my life, and now I get heartburn from <laughs> spicy food. It's like, really? So what's the craziest thing that's ever happened to you while you've traveled? Oh, so I, I was stuck in the Middle East over 9-11. Oh my god. Well, sort of the Middle East. I was stuck in Turkey. Yeah. And I had a very difficult time getting home. Um, it took me three weeks to get home. What was that like? To, it was in that uh, scary. I, I can't even imagine. I couldn't get home. I was stuck in I was stuck in Istanbul and they were they were riding in the street. The embassy in, in Turkey was closed. They were telling they were at the time. Um, they were telling Americans to just um, no, don't go out into the streets because nobody knew what was going on. Nobody knew what was going to happen. I mean, you know, things are different today. Um, right. You know, it's not, you can't just go on Facebook and see what's happening, right? Mm. So 20 years ago, you know, I was glued to, in my hotel room, glued to the TV, watching CNN, trying to figure out what I should do next. How and, did you get through that? Um yeah, I mean, it just, it was a lot of patience. It was a lot of just, you know, trying to figure out how to get out of Istanbul. And I ended up going, uh, finding my way to Switzerland and I got stuck in Switzerland. And um, not I mean, not, pl- not, not, about a, not, not a bad, bad place yeah. to get stuck. Yeah. But. <laughs> so not a bad place to get stuck. But, you know, when something like that happens, you just want to get home, yeah. right? You know, you just want to get home. Um, so that was, that was a probably... Um, I always tell people it was really hell to go through, but it makes yeah. a great bar story now. Right. So, and I was held up um, by the police in Moscow. What? Yes. So that so this was a, another story. Um, a, I was coming. I was with a my business partner at the time, and uh, I never really enjoyed going to Moscow at the time because everything just seemed nothing was really right. Uh, but you can never put your finger on it. So uh, we were coming back from dinner late one evening and we got pulled over by the police and, you know, military uniforms with, you know, big guns. 
And when they realized I was American, they wanted my passport. And I was like, I'm not giving up my passport. And I told them it was stuck. I had it in the hotel, which I had it on me. And then I gave them my license and they said, well, how much money do you have? And they basically extracted a bribe from me. Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. So like, great another great bar story. I yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there are uh, plenty more bar stories that we'd love to hear, um, but I think we'll leave it there for today. Yes, congratulations on the award. Uh so well deserved and uh before we leave, what was your reaction to being named the 2023 International Businesswoman of the Year for New Hampshire? Yeah. Yeah, such an absolute honor. Um, just really pleased to represent, um, you know, the international business community and to represent women in the international business community. Um, I think um, it's really important that, you know, women see the opportunities in the international world and not just, um, you know, domestically. I, I think there's an opportunity out there and I think women shouldn't be afraid of it. Excellent. Well, Grace, thank you again so much. Uh, Grace Preston is the International Sales Manager at Geophysical Survey Systems in Nashua and is the 2023 New Hampshire Global Businesswoman of the Year as named by the World Affairs Council of New Hampshire. Thank you again for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed the stories and information you heard on today's podcast, find more by subscribing to Business NH Magazine or visiting businessnhmagazine.com. I'm Matt Mowry. And I'm Christine Kerrigan. BizCast NH is a production of Granite Media Group. Group.